Well, Jesus is preaching to us the greatest sermon ever preached on holiness. It's a, it's a sermon that in the sixth chapter of Matthew, Jesus turns to begin to explain to us the depth of what are traditional religious practices. And so therefore, uh, we, have a, um, uh, we have a lesson for the next few weeks on how to handle material things. Now, you don't hear me talk about this very often because when I was a little boy, it was pounded into my head that it's impolite to talk about money. And so I hardly ever preach about these things. But when you're preaching the words of Jesus, Jesus brings it up all the time. So you just got to say what he said. And uh, what he said is going to thrill you. As a matter of fact, I would just give you some counsel this morning. If you have um, um, the, the wherewithal to, to if, you, if you go, if you exit back through those back uh, exits. By the way, ushers, I know you're still looking for some seats. There's like three chairs up here if you want to draw them around. We don't have any uh, 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 wheelchairs over here. If there's still some people who need some seats, there are three more up here. So here's what you can do. If you go out there, that way, pick up a sermon outline, but by any, any um, 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 other way, be sure to get a tape of this Sunday sermon because the principles I'm going to tell you this morning are so basic, um, but very few people know them. And it's surprising to me. And they are very, very important for our lives. Now, this is what Jesus says in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Remember last week... We started this by, by, telling, uh, uh, by Jesus telling us how we need to let go of some stuff. We used a lot of humor last week, had a lot of fun last week, going to have a lot of fun next week. Uh, this week we're just going to do, do business. This is this business conversation here. So it's just going to be plain and laid out for you uh, this week. But last week Jesus uh, kind of helped us let go of things. Among other things, he let us know that time uh, is uh, a great teacher but a lousy beautician. And... Uh, and so just as all things fall apart, including us, um, so do worldly wealth. So, so does worldly wealth. What it says is, um, do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But here's what he says to us this week. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. This is one thing that I want you to understand that Jesus uh, has for us. He wants us to be truly rich. He wants us to be truly wealthy. Now, it's not wealth in terms that we usually think of wealth uh, or, or, or only partially so. I get so perturbed at prosperity preachers because, because they limit uh, the definition of wealth to such an extent. You, you know when, um, when Jesus, when the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, that you know the grace of Jesus Christ, how though he was rich, he became poor for our sakes, that through his poverty, we might become rich. You know, God's not really talking about Rolex on preachers. Uh, it, it, he's talking about something deeper and more everlasting than that. And God wants so much for us to understand what we can truly have. I heard a story one time about a rich Texan. Uh, it was a, an interesting story about human nature. This Texan invited a preacher out, a well-known preacher, to go out and uh, have supper with him. And so the preacher walked in. Of course, it was a very elaborate place. 
and this Texan had bought a huge ranch. And, and so after this very sumptuous supper, he took this preacher up to a patio he had built on the roof of the house. And he put, her arm, put, his arm, put his arm around the preacher and he said, Preacher, I came here with nothing. But I worked and I worked and I worked and I want you to know, look out, look out that direction. Everything you see in that direction, I own. And they turned him at a 90 degree angle and he says, and I own everything in that direction. Turn another 90 degree and I own everything in that direction, far as you can see. And he turned him finally around, I own everything in that direction. The preacher just kind of looked at him and smiled and said, well, good for you, Ralph. Let me ask you a question, though. The preacher put his arm around him and he said, how much do you own in that direction? That's what Jesus wants to ask all of us this morning. How much do we own in that direction? Because you see, God's riches are, are perfect and they're wonderful and they last forever. It says um, in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 18, it says this. It says, riches and honor are with me. This is the Lord speaking to us. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. And it says in Proverbs 10, 22, it is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and he adds no sorrow to it. You see, every worldly wealth we have fades in its satisfaction. Every one of them has its, in it somewhere embedded disappointment or at least um, to, 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 to be somehow not as pleased as we once were with it. But the character of heavenly riches is that they hold the satisfaction level so that we are just as pleased with them in eternity as we were when we first got them. That's what God wants. God wants us to be able to tell the difference between the things that we enjoy temporarily down here and the things that we'll enjoy forever. I heard another story one time about this lady that walked into this Christian home. These, these people loved to teach their kids about the Lord. And as, they, as this lady walked into this room where, they, where these little kids were playing, they were playing with their little horses and, and stuff like that. And of course the lady walks in and she's trying to make conversation and she says, Oh, are these your treasures? And one little kid looked up and said, No. They're just our playthings. Our treasures are in heaven. Can, can we tell the difference between our playthings and our treasures? Nothing wrong with playthings. But, but can we tell the difference? And where can we put our emphasis? You see, God wants us to become wealthy eternally. And the reason I know that is because Jesus just flat out says it. Look at this verse in a little more detail with me. It says in the words of Jesus, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, in the, in the, in the Greek verb tense and mood, lay up for yourselves is a present imperative, active verb tense and mood. And this is what it means. When something is in the, in the imperative mood, it means this is an order. This is an order from God. This is not an option. This isn't say, you know what? If you think about it one of these days, you might want to think about this. This is from God. We don't need to feel greedy when, we are, when we're laying up treasures in heaven. 
This is something God wants us to do and wants us to have because he loves us. So he says, this is my order to you. Lay up treasures in heaven. And the second thing you need to know about this is that it's in the, it's in the present tense. And something in the, that's in the Greek present tense means it's a continuous and repeated action. You don't just do it once. You don't just do it once. You do it continually, repeatedly. Now, there are treasures that we have stored up for us that come to us immediately when we believe in Jesus Christ. His treasures become ours. His nature becomes ours. And the Bible is very clear about that. As a matter of fact, two huge things happen. Number one, until we get to become Christians, we're operating on a shallow credit system down here on earth. You see, there are two kinds of storing up in the Bible. One is storing up wrath. The Bible has a phrase, storing up wrath. And before we become Christians, all our lives, we're just storing up wrath. Let me give you a financial, since we're talking financially here this, this weekend, let me give you a financial analogy. Um, when we come into this world, we have nothing. Remember that first Timothy 6, uh, 10? Uh, we bring nothing into this world and we're going to take nothing out. And so when we come into this world, we have nothing. And so what basically what we're doing is we are operating with some sort of credit card uh, and we are we are we have no capability of paying it back. What we're doing is going in deeper and deeper into debt and eternally speaking, there is interest accumulating on that. So that we're even deeper in debt than we realize. Because we've got nothing to pay it back. We brought nothing into this world. Nothing's ours. We have no assets, you see. So we're storing up wrath. Now watch this. The moment that you become a Christian, Jesus Christ literally erases that account. He pays, literally. Forgive us our debts. He pays. For everything we owed to God and we switch from a debit to a credit. We open an account in heaven. And he puts in our account all of what he already owns. It says this in first, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. It says in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. You know, our, our, we can see with our intuition. We can, we can sense things that are true. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? That's you in the saints. You have an inheritance kept for you in heaven. It's in the inheritance of, Je in, in the inheritance of Jesus Christ. We not only have pardon, Matthew 6, 14, a full erasure of our debt, but we also have things already in our account that is there for your use. We have answered prayer, Matthew 7, 7. 
We have um, our names written in heaven, the full assurance. You need never doubt that you're going to go to heaven. Never. It says in Luke 10, 20, I think, that your names are written in heaven. You don't ever have to doubt that. It says we have um, uh, peace. Uh, uh, John 14, 27. It says we have joy, John 15, 11. It says we have victory, um, um, John 16, 33. We have everything that Christ has. You have. You have it in your account the moment that you become a Christian. But added, this is the, this is the phenomenal news. Added to all of that, you have a capability of adding stuff to that account yourself. That's why Jesus says, lay up treasures in heaven. This is something that you can actively do on your own. Now, how in the world does that happen? Well, I'm going to spend a little bit of time today and then some more time next week telling you the three basic ways that happens. But first, I want to give you a picture of how it happens. You see, the word in here for treasure in the Greek is thesaurus. We have an English word, thesaurus. Now, I want you to give, get this picture. A thesaurus is a book that for any given word has a multitude of synonyms attached to it, both negative and positive. As you go through a thesaurus, they will, they will alternate. Now, just as we were storing up wrath, with, 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 with uh, interest uh, in, the neg- in the negative parts of that before we came to Christ, when you believe in Jesus Christ, when you allow, when you accept the grace of God on the cross, all of those negative terms are, are erased. And now you're working on the positive terms. And every time you are doing something out of the nature of Christ, you are making a deposit. But it's not only what you're depositing. It is the, it is the heavenly multiplica- multiplication of that. It is, the, it is, the, it is the, 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 the gifts of God, the expansion of that, that comes around what you have done. You see, life in heaven is going to be absolutely joyful. But all of us will still be able to look back with differing levels of satisfaction on the life and times we spent down here on earth. And there are going to be things you will never regret doing as you stand before God. Ways that have eternal satisfaction because you're so glad you did them. There is a multiplication factor here that is beyond this world. We can't understand it in this world. Now now think of this just for a moment. This world operates basically in what we perceive of as four dimensions. But modern physics has understood that the reality is that all of reality has at least nine or ten dimensions. We just are limited in this world to four. You see, one of the reasons we're going to be so... um, 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 so embarrassed, I think, when we get up there uh, is because we've argued over a lot of stuff uh, because we've only argued within the dimensions that we have. You see, the concept of the Trinity is mathematically absurd when you're limited to four dimensions. 
But it's not only possible, but fully understandable in 10 dimensions. Because lots of things can happen at once. The things that we argue about, the predestination versus free will. Those things are opposing concepts when you are limited to four dimensions. But when you expand it to something that can, can multiply all at once and has many different dimensions looked upon all at once, then they don't. They, they go together fine. So a lot of our arguments, a lot of our theological arguments are going to be resolved in heaven simply from the expansion of the dimensions of reality. But, but here's what, let's, let's, stick, let's stick for a moment with the, with the material deposit, so to speak. And, and this is what really, this is, what really is, is so uh, interesting for people of faith. Because when you have the world mentality, you'd rather gamble on something you can see than you would have something for sure by faith. Do you know that the people, I recently read a statistic, the people in this country spend 15 times more on gambling than they do given to the church. 15 times more on gambling than they do given to the church. Now there is a world mentality for you. When what happens when you, when you give to the things of God? What happens is there is a multiplication in heavenly benefits way beyond what we could ever understand. Let me give you an example. If you want to save a million dollars, you can do it a couple of ways. One, you can save a dollar a day. If you save a dollar a day and you put it under your mattress, then basically it'll take you 2,740 years to save a million dollars. Now, if you put that same million dollars in the bank and you have basically a 8% 8% uh, uh, compound interest on that, on that dollar a day. It'll take you 66 years, not 2,740, 66 years to accumulate a million dollars. Can you imagine with 10 dimensions for an eternity what a spiritual investment looks like? Somebody once told me that if somebody had taken the widow's mite, the widow's mite, smallest coins, and put it in the first bank of Jerusalem at a 4% semi-annual compound interest rate, there would, after 2,000 years, be enough money in that account to pay off every national debt in the world. What does it look like when we just act out of the nature of Christ. We can't even imagine. The Bible says it's beyond what we can even ask or think. And so therefore, you have this account. And there are basically three ways you can contribute to it. We're going to talk about two in just, just five minutes, and then I'm going to spend next week talking about a third the first one is, is materially. The second one is with our conduct or our, our behavior. And the third one is investing in people. That's what we're going to have fun with next week because it's kind of frustrating to invest in people. Have you noticed that? That's, that's, a very, that's not an easy one. So we're going to take the two easiest ones first. Let's talk about material things first. First of all, I want to alert all of you. There's a basic standard for God's financial investments. And it's called the tithe. If you would turn to Malachi chapter 3, starting with verse 8. Let me teach you a basic here. 
And the reason I teach you the basic, and I don't apologize for this at all, the reason I take a, teach you a basic is because for every great action in the world, for everyone who is consistently great, they are consistently great because somewhere along the line they learn the basics. And whenever something starts going wrong, guess what they do? They go back to the basics. I don't care whether we're talking about athletes or musicians or theorists. Everyone who, who begins to stumble in their performance will go back to the basics. And there is a very basic law that God has given us, a very basic instruction standard that says this. Verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed thee? In the tithes and the offerings. Now, the tithe is traditionally the first 10% of what we get. We give to the church. Look what it says. And the offerings are, are, are things above that that we give to special causes. You are cursed with a curse. You are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse was a part of the temple. So that there may be food in my house. So that people have what they need. So that there may be food in my house. Now, by, by the way, while I'm talking about this, this is not, you can tithe to whatever church you want to. It doesn't say what church. Probably the principle you ought to abide by is if you go to more than one church, you give proportionally to however you're being fed. So that there may be food in my house, all right? You give proportionally to uh, whatever proportion that tie to the church. And the, and the Bible also says the workman is worthy of his hire. So if, the church, if a certain church is, is kind of the workhorse for your spiritual growth, that's where you give, all right? It's just a very basic common sense principle. It says, test me now in this. This is the only place in the Bible where God says, test me. I want to show you something, God says. Test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Let me tell you from an experienced tither what happens in life. And I, and I know you're sitting there thinking, hey, man, you live in an apartment, you drive a jalopy. Tell me, you're going to tell me, give me financial advice? Yeah, I am. I am. Number one, because you can't find a happier guy on the face of this earth. There is nobody that is more fulfilled than I am. Um, um, and that's, not, that's just, that's out of the grace of God. That's nothing I've done. It's just because I've done what God says and I don't worry about anything else. And the second thing is, uh, the Bible says in, in, uh, in Proverbs 13, 7, there's, there are people who seem poor, but they're really rich. <laughs> and people who seem rich, but they're really poor. And so you've got to decide where all this falls. Now, now, let me tell you what happens when you tithe. You will be so surprised at several things in your life. First of all, you'll be surprised at how your church has plenty of money to do whatever is necessary to expand the kingdom of God. And if that's our job down here, if that's why we're still down here, and I believe it is, if God, didn't, if God was not going to use us to expand the kingdom of God, we'd be up there. See, there'd be no other. So, so that's, that's, so you'll be, you'll be surprised at that. Secondly, you will be very surprised at the awareness you have, the growing and increasing awareness you have of God's presence in your everyday life. Your spiritual life will deepen as it has never done before. Third, you will be surprised at how much more you have to meet your other financial obligations. This is a weird mathematical thing that God does. I've never been able to figure this out. 
But there's, there's, God answers our needs. And, and I don't know how he does it. It's just a weird thing. Beck, Beck and I have sometimes found stuff in our bank, things that, we, that wasn't there, but it's there now. And fourth, you will be surprised at how much more you want to give because there's, because there's, this, there's this joy in doing just what's obedient to God. There's just a relaxation. There's a freedom in this thing. That is, that is absolutely uh, incredible. Now, now this is a, the reason I teach you this, and I teach it unabashedly. And I know there's several ways to teach this. I've heard people say, you know, well, uh, maybe you can start at 2% and work your way up to 10%. I, I feel a little funny about that. You know, it's, it's, if, if God says it, then we just need to do it. And, and I, you know, every, if you want to take another system, that's all right. But I feel a little bit like, you know, I, I wouldn't come to you and say, you know, the Bible says... Don't commit adultery, so taper off, will you? Just <laughs> try to get there. And I, I know it's not strictly analogous, but, but so I, I just feel a little bit funny. You know, just, my job is just tell you what the Scripture says and just let you do what, what you will with it. So, so, but here's the basics. When you do this, there is a multiplication in your understanding of how God is using the, the money that you have. You see, I can pay a hundred bucks for an electric bill, which I do with great frequency, uh, once a month, like the rest of you. And it's, it's kind of a business deal. I pay them a hundred bucks, they give me light and air conditioning. And I, you know, that's fine. But that's, that's the end of the benefit of my hundred bucks. If that same $100 goes to electricity for the church, what I know is that in that light and in that electricity, people are getting saved. People are getting healed. The, the, the people are getting their marriages reconciled. The hungry are being fed. People are finding fellowship and counsel and so on and so forth. There's all kinds of continuing spiritual benefit from that 100 bucks, And so that's the 100 bucks I love to spend. That's the I, that's, that just has all kinds of incredible, unending benefit. There is no limitation on that money. And, and, and sometimes with the, with, the, with the offerings, you know, I find projects that I love to do. Some of you, we're, we have projects coming up. Some of you like to buy land because there's a farmer in you somewhere. And you say, you know, you say, oh, God didn't make any more land. I want to buy that land because I want to help buy that land because I know for 100 years kids are going to be educated on that land and, and that land is going to be used. And, and, and some of you like that. Some of you like just just the, uh, the, the radio thing we have. Every buck goes, goes straight to the airways because it's all run by volunteers. And so and so and we get we get we get uh, letters from. I was driving a truck through South Dakota, heard the message, went home reconciled with my wife. I mean, it's just unbelievable stuff. We never aimed for that guy. But God's providence, and some of you like, there's that gambler in you that wants to gamble for God. And so you don't want to know. You want it. Just, you just put it out there, oh, God. just. And then in heaven, when you're talking with people, you say, I, I was part of that. It was, it'll just, you probably won't say it because it'd be bragging, but you, you, you <laughs> It, it, the message, of, ah, yeah, okay, God, thanks, I see that. You know, it's just kind of neat. But, but anyhow, the point is that, that it's just fun. It's just fun. I think it's basically fun for everyone to get the most out of the dollar. dollar. To, say, to say, I took one dollar and, and it, it was multiplied eternally. 
Not, I took a buck and ate a candy bar. You know, it's, it's, just, it's just fun because that's how we're built. And that's why we're built like that. Secondly, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll do this even faster. The Bible says, it says in, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. This is Paul telling Timothy to tell his church this. So I'll be on the, on the role of, of Timothy today, and, and, I'll, and I'll give you this message that came from God through Paul. Uh, and it says in verse 18, instruct them to do good. <laughs> this is pretty simple, isn't it? This is not rocket science, by the way. You've already figured that out, haven't you? This is just business. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure. There's those words again. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed or eternal life. Now, here's the second thing. The way you can make deposits to your account in heaven, and it sounds funny, but it's, I mean, when, when you get up there, you're going to want to look back and say, man, I'm glad I lived like that. There's not going to be punishment. You're just going to want to be glad. You're going to have that eternal satisfaction that doesn't fade. And so the, the second way is just get your body in the right place. Let your body do the right thing. And that, go, that, that goes all the way from not blasting somebody you could blast. You know, there are so many of us that have this quick, bitter, angry tongue. And man, we just, boom. And, and, and then we say, well, he deserved it. That was the justice of God. Somebody needed, somebody needed to say that, and it was me. There's way too much pleasure in a statement like that, you know, to be, to be very spiritual. So, so it comes all the way from bridling your tongue to getting your body into a place where it will be of more use. One of the reasons we have this small groups uh, thing that we've got out there is just to invite you to put your body where it can serve other people. And one of the things, one of the reasons we're having the, the, the uh, uh, training uh, that we're having in two weeks, the leadership training or servanthood training really, is because every one of you has unbelievable gifts for ministry and most of you don't even know what they are, let alone be trained in them. And that, that's the ultimate of the church, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. That'd be you, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, that we might grow up into maturity in the body of Christ. So, so somebody once said, you know, 90% of life is just showing up. In other words, having your body in the right place. Well, that's, that's a lot of spiritual maturity, having your body in the right place. Not playing into Satan's Satan has a very consistent game where he tries to keep you away from other Christians. He tries to isolate you, especially if you're becoming depressed. He's going to want to, and, and, and anytime he gets you alone, you're a sitting duck. And so the body here, getting your body with the body, is a part of, of right conduct. And when you do that, and I'll close with this, when you do that, it's important to remember this. God has, has put into you a certain number of good works that you should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10. That you, he's already laid out for you a certain number of good works. Now, when you don't do those, when they get kind of stored up or damned up in yourself, you become frustrated. You say to yourself, you know, I really should be doing it. I've got this sense that I've got something to give and I'm not giving it. Let me give you, let me give an analogy. I'll close with this. Uh, there, was a, there was a stone carver who, who, who was a, a, literally a tombstone maker. 
And one time uh, he was a Christian. Somebody came into his shop, another Christian, Christian brother of his, and noticed as he was walking in this, this headstone that he had carved, and he looked at the dates, and, and it was obviously a child who had died. But what really puzzled him was the date of death on that headstone was several months past. And so he looked at the guy and he said, why is that still in here? And the guy looked at it and he said, they, they ordered it and they didn't pay for it. The Christian looked at him and said, so why is that still in here? He said, I said they didn't pay for it. They don't get it till they pay for it. The Christian looked at him and said, brother, now help me understand this. You've already got this thing done. Every day when you walk in here, there's a reminder of a frustration in your life. Every time you walk past that, you get mad. And so there's something in your life that's making you mad when it could be a blessing in someone else's life. What is that still doing in here? The guy looked. Well, the next week he put it out where it went. That grateful family sometime in the future tried to pay him. He wouldn't take it. The point, though, is this. All of us have these good works, these acts in our lives. And we keep waiting for somebody to pay us from our, or, 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 or somehow make it worth our while. <laughs> it's worth our while just to do them. Whether, whether we ever get paid, whether we ever get recognized, because, because it will become a source of frustration if we don't. But if we do... There is an account, whether we're ever paid down here or not. We'll be glad we did. Pray with me now. God, thank you for caring enough for us to teach us how to build up satisfactions out of living out the life of Christ down here. Lord, we recognize again there is no goodness in us except that which Jesus brought when he came to live in us. So we ask you, Lord, to remind us to live out of that nature every day. To give so that the kingdom might be built, whether it be materially or behaviorally, but to mount up a, a, a storehouse, a treasure that is multiplied only by you so that we, Lord, can be glad we lived like we did. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.